Hello, everybody. Welcome back to SOS. Oh my God. Welcome back. How welcome back. This is a really exciting one for us because Alyssa and I used to work with our guest today. His name yeah. is Luis Augusto Figueroa. And we were all servers in a restaurant hating our life. And now <laughs> none of us are. And Luis is an Oscar-nominated producer. Nominated. Oscar. Nominated. We have an Oscar nominee on the podcast, y'all. So, just yeah, this. So he um, produced a short film called Feeling Through, um, featuring the very first deaf-blind actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's crazy. He, it's insane. It is. It's an 18-minute short. It's and it, it encapsulates so much in 18 minutes you go through you feel like you just came out of a feature film with the depth that this film yeah. holds and um it's on uh, amaletto and youtube it's called feeling through um the social media is at feeling through for instagram and then luis's is at luis a fig l-u-i-s-a-f-i-g um, he's producer, actor, writer, and Oscar nominee. Oscar so nominee, y'all. Please welcome Luis to the pod. Luis, welcome. Oh, so happy. Hi, everybody. It's been, it's been a minute since we got to like hold you. And it see has you. been a minute. It's um, been a I think I've, I haven't yeah. seen you guys in like. Three years now. Three. Yep. Oh my god. Yeah. Since we we used to work together, and then I had that entire year was like a big like, what am I doing? Yeah. And I remember like one day I came to work and I was like, I'm putting my notice in, and then I Mm kind of like went on this journey, and here we are. Yeah, that was a very sad day. I did not like that you left, but that was slightly. And not slightly gut wrenching. Yeah, yes. that was hard. But what's but, amazing is what you've been doing in this time, and your beautiful film "Feeling Through" was nominated for an Oscar. Oscar, an Oscar. nominated, among other things. Um, but I, yeah, I just want to jump in, and I want to hear before we start talking about every all the beautiful details about making this film, uh, what your SOS moment is slash your involvement and how you got involved with feeling through um i think like one of the it's a quote that is essentially what an s like my sos moment was um i'll quote it and then it'll go into all sorts of things that like led to this point Mm -hmm. um essentially it's take your broken heart and turn it into art Mm -hmm. um 2018 for me was a year that i started really asking like what am i doing and why am i doing certain things um I left, you know, we were working together and I and I kind of started looking around and in terms of the people that were in charge. And I was like, Hmm. like, no one's really appreciating like our worth here and like what it is that we bring to the table and Mm -hmm. what it is that like who we are as like human beings, you know. And I was like, I'm jumping ship. Let me figure this out. I'll figure it out. I was very lucky that at the beginning of the year, like I had booked the national commercial. So financially, I was like, I had freedom, which is you know, when you have financial freedom, there's a lot of things that you can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that summer I went up to, to Sonoma, to this theater company that I worked with and I pro and I went there and I had been there before. And the last time I had been there, um, I'd had this moment that I was like, this is not it. And I remember, I think uh, Alyssa, you knew that I had been like auditioning for Hamilton and then like mm-hmm. that didn't pan out. And my representation was like lying to me about stuff. And I was like, 
well, this isn't it either. And I was like, well, what is it? And I started, that's when I started producing. That's when Relevant County came about. Yeah. That's when, oh, which, okay. which literally was like putting pen to paper and not knowing what the hell I was doing. And ignorance was bliss in that kind of sense. And from then on, I started, you know, producing and creating things. And something led to, to me going back to Sonoma that summer. And, you know, it was a five-week contract, the final week. And I, and I got there being like, I'm just going to be open to everything. I'm mm -hmm. not going to have any sort of, like, preconceived notion of, like, what this experience is going to be like. And the final week, my friend Shalia said to me, she's like, what are you thinking about? And I was getting ready to go on for my number. And I was like, I am miserable in L.A. And I am miserable in my relationship. Mm. And I have to figure it out. Mm. And... Three weeks later, I was in a car driving across the country with, you know, cases of wine, some art and, you know, whatever clothing I could like fit into my hatchback. <laughs> I drove across the country um, and I ended up um, funny enough, like my family was going through some transition as well. So I ended up like being in D.C. for a short period of time for about like five months, um, knowing that eventually I would make it into New York. Now, prior to to all of this happening, I had already started the conversations with the writer-director of Feeling Through, Doug Rowland, who was a friend of mine who, mm -hmm. I met him in like 2007. And, mm -hmm. you know, he dated a friend of mine, they broke up, but then we kept like running into each other all over LA. He's from New York, I met him in New York. We didn't know yeah. that we actually like lived like two blocks from each other because we had run into each other for whatever reason, it was always in Venice. Yeah. And finally, like at the beginning of 2018, like we sat down, he sent me the script. I was like, this is great. And I had been toying around because I wanted, um, at that point, I was looking for my fourth project. And I had told myself that I always wanted to do one project that was, you know, creative. And like, I really wanted to like act and, and really be like hands on in terms of like what the story was going to be and how to do something. And the next project would always be like, let me be like a hired gun. Let me come in mm -hmm. and like just do like the paperwork and and understand like what it is that it is to to produce so mm. you know feeling through was project number four and it was like well let me figure this out like this is let's see what i can learn from this and while i was in dc you know he we had already started having the conversations with the helen keller national center mm. um he was flying he's from new york originally so he was like flying to new york and it was easy for me to like drive to new york pick him up and then we drive out to long island to to start having these meetings to kind of like get a feel for like, you know, what the center was, um, learn as much about the community and also like try to um, to develop a relationship with the Helen Keller National Center, essentially, which is that partnership is I really think is um, what led to the success of the film. Yeah. Yeah. We knew we had people that were hands on with the community to really give us a you know, the the word that everyone uses is like authentic to really create authenticity in terms of the story yeah. that we were trying to tell. Um, well, and before we go too much further, because listeners might not have seen it. So it features a deaf blind actor mm -hmm. Correct. for so the first really time helped. for the first time. Yeah. Which is what I want people listening to know before you go, if you haven't checked it out yet while we're telling this story. Um, so for those who don't know what Feeling Through is, Feeling Through is essentially, it's a late night encounter between a teen in need in New York City and a deaf blind man, and the unlikely connection between those two individuals. Um, Doug was very adamant from the beginning that he wanted to cast somebody who was deaf and blind. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we spoke to the center, it was kind of like, well, what are you talking about? You know, everyone's always, you know, when you bring up an idea, um, it's very easy, you know, I'm culpable of it as well, that I find all the reasons why something can't happen. 
Mm-hmm. And when it comes to to artistry, you know, when you get in that flow, it's like you're going to do everything that you can to to achieve what your vision is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we knew that we were going to at that point we knew that we were going to crowdfund because it was the the best way to 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 basically get the funds to make a film. Mm-hmm. And you know, Helen Keller like came on board as as a sponsor for us, which really helped in terms of like getting wow. the word out there for people to see the legitimacy be- behind what it is that we were doing as a project. And in September of 2018, was it September? Yeah, September of 2018, we launched you know on Seed and Spark and did 30 days of campaigning, and that was awful. It was awful because calling people for money, emailing people for money, going on social media. And I don't know if you guys remember like those videos that it was just like asking and asking mm-hmm. and asking. Yeah, and, like this yeah. is what we're doing it. This is, you know, the we flip the the sands of time and, you know, it's running out. We have 30 days to like achieve our goal. Ugh. Because what happens with Seed and Spark is if in 30 days you don't achieve, I think, 80 percent of what your overall goal is, you don't get any of the money. Oh, wow. For us knowing that we, you know, we were going to film in New York, we still had to like put production together and all of that stuff. It's like, if we don't do this now, we have to wait, you know, maybe in the spring, probably like another year in the fall. And at that point, any sort of momentum that's been happening with the project will go away. Right. Um, being home was probably the best thing that could have happened for me because I had my family support. I had my, you know, my mom and my sister, in particular, my sister, Claudia, was on me like 24 seven, you know, I remember one night, I think it was after the first week, I'm like having like a meltdown being like, we raised $2,000 and we need 78 more to go or whatever the number was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I was like, I just literally like started over, like gave up my life and tried to like start anew. I'm like, I just went on social media to do this. I'm like, what more failure could I possibly have? And she said to me, she's like, well, you either don't do this and look like a failure on social media, or which doesn't really matter, or you look like an idiot to do, you know, to raise these funds, to find the money and actually have something to hold at the end of it. Yeah. Mm. Funny to look back, you know, like where we are now to be like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, it was, yeah. it was, you know, it wasn't in vain. Right. Absolutely. You know, when... It was two hours, two or three hours um, before the the deadline that we got greenlit. Are you serious? Yeah, and I actually didn't realize that. Um, I was, you know, throughout this the the last you know five months of of this campaigning that we've been doing, um, there's been a lot of reflecting, and I've gone back to to some of like the original posts on my Instagram, and I have like a picture there of, of when we got greenlit, and it literally was, because it would tell you like three days to go, four days to go, mm-hmm. and I think it says something like four hours to go, and I'm just oh like, my. oh, wow. <laughs> wow. We literally like made it at the, at the very last minute. Um, you know, <sighs> that led to, you know, 30 days of like putting the production together, of holding the auditions, of... Mm-hmm. finding all the different characters and in particular finding the role of Artie, you know, um, yeah, we auditioned the, the Helen Keller national center was great in terms of introducing us to, to all sorts of people in the center that in, in within their community that they felt would be appropriate to, to bring on board. Because again, you know, this is for a lot of the people that are deafblind, you know, there's different variables of it. And then mm-hmm. some people were born deafblind. Some people were born deaf and, you know, lost their eyesight or were born blind and lost their hearing as they progress in age. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, we know our artistry, you know, through the world of like hearing and seeing and touch and all of these things. But this particular genre, if if you if you've never been given an opportunity or even are told that an opportunity in this is even possible, how would you even know where to begin? Yeah. Right. And that um, still resonates to me. And, and I think about very frequently, someone at the center once said to me while we were doing this, it's like, it's very, it's fascinating that you guys are doing this because this is a community that has lived under the shadow of Helen Keller for so long, for about a yeah. hundred years or so. And I kept thinking, I was like, how fascinating and how kind of just like, like, how can we like make this happen? Like, I can't imagine like being born and being like, well, everything that you could possibly achieve as a human being has already been done. So now you right. need to exist. Right. And, you know, after you, you guys have seen the film, when you watch what, what he does, at, you know, what his performance is and how, what a light you know, he is, you realize mm -hmm. that anybody is capable of anything if the opportunities are presented. Yes. If someone is given a chance. I, uh, yeah. I, uh, I have to confess, like, it took me a long time to watch the film. So the reason is, and I don't want to get emotional, but, um, he reminds me so much of my grandfather who was legally blind. Um, mm -hmm. they look almost like if I showed you a wow, picture, they really? look so similar. Yeah. Um, Ugh. my, both my cramp grandparents were blind and that's how they met at a, at a camp. And it's just a beautiful, <laughs> the emotions real guys. I'm not acting. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just a beautiful film that s you don't see, you know, like I, I don't see, you know, people that were as beautiful as my grandparents shown in the way feeling through was. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I also encourage listeners and watchers to not only see feeling through, which we'll link on our social medias, but to see the documentary, because I loved seeing the process of, of finding already the actor, um, R Roberto, right? Mm -hmm. Robert. Um, he, uh, he worked in the kitchen, which is fucking amazing. Uh, but also it's just like how he found, how Doug found Artemio by the end of it is just so beautiful. Yeah, and so for, um, uh, those who yeah. don't know, this is, um, the film is based on, on a real life experience that Doug, the, the director had, you know, 10 mm -hmm. years, now 10 years ago, um, of a late night encounter. He, he met a gentleman on a street corner on the Lower East Side that said, you know, I'm deaf and blind and I'm looking for this particular bus. And Doug spent the later half of an, a better half of an hour with him, you know, writing out on his hand and. Oh, so that's how the communication that was real. And Artemio would like write on his notebook. You know, he was he's able to write in like the like the alphabet that we know. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they just had this exchange back and forth. And and clearly it's something that, that stayed with him for so long. There's something it, it's when you talked about how your parents, um, your grandparents met at a camp. There's one moment in the film that um, the other character, Tariq, is like, you know, Artemio, they fall asleep at this bus stop and Tariq is going through the notebook. And one of the things that's oh, written uh, there is, may I kiss you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have chills thinking about it. There's so Me too. Me I, have, I have full chills remembering that part I just got. There's so many beautiful moments in the film. And that was one in particular because that one little little moment that you just read that and and, and you see that, there's so much history and there's so much life to all of us yes. that yeah. we don't 
You know, we're so go, go, go in this society, in particular, like American capitalist, whatever you want to call it, society, yeah. that we don't ever really stop to to look what's happening over there. We don't ever really stop to to experience the sacred and the ordinary. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I remember when when I joined Wicked I, back in uh, this is like 2004, 2005, the commercials always talked about, you know, Joe Montella would say that like the beauty of Wicked is that, you know, you know, the Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. and, and what Wicked does is that all of a sudden it's like, but what's going on over here? And you focus on a character that you, you know, we perceive that we understand and we know everything about. And then all of a sudden, you know, we we, un- we start to peel the layers back of like what's actually going on. And yeah. I think this is a film that does something similar that it's like, yeah. you know, we're we're constantly going. It's like somebody's like like the character Tariq has his own thing that he's trying to figure out. And he just stops to to yeah. to really like look at a, a at a moment and live in that moment that presents itself in a way that we normally don't ever do. And like the fact that, you know, Tariq asks him, why are you out so late? And he says, I was on a date. Yeah. And it's like, and then obviously he goes, Tariq can see in his notepad that he had written down, can I kiss you? And it does look like he was on a date. And it's like the amount of limits we put on ourselves in our daily lives, like fully, I I say that of like the three of us and anyone who's like has is fully capable. Like I have all five senses. I have my health. I have like a roof over my head you know Mm -hmm. it's like all these things that and why certain days do i feel like oh i can't do that or oh i should uh i can't and then you look at this and you're like this guy went out on a date in the film like already goes out on a date knowing how difficult it is to get home he might not be able to get home that night because he has to have someone volunteer to help him cross the street or like catch the bus or and he and he's not like oh i can't go on a date you know what I mean? And it's so much it work for him, him to go out on a date. And just, I don't know, like you're saying, Louise, it's like everybody has such a depth of feeling and a, a rich life within them. And we all just kind of like blow past each other day in and day out. And day in and day out. Not only that, but it's what I loved about it. And with that particular moment with, with the can I kiss you and then he's on a date, like... When you see, and of course, this is the first time you see a deafblind actor portraying um, a deafblind character, but when you see um, people with disabilities represented in films and TV, you don't see that life with them. You know, they're usually just like, I don't know, they don't have the life. They don't, they're not going out on dates. You know, Mm. you, you don't, they're not they're not usually written as as a form of, of, of a way for the audience to relate to them. Like as a three-dimensional as character. Yeah. As a three-dimensional mm-hmm. character that we see we see everything of who they are as opposed to just being like something inspirational for the other part of, of society. Right, right. One of the things that, um, you know, we... That one of the questions that kept coming up when we were in pre-production was was people's concerns that it's like you know we we don't know if the the community necessarily needs a film that's going to be like oh look how inspirational these people can be mm-hmm. it, it's not this is not what the film is mm-hmm. the film is not about like look how inspiring like we no. can we yeah. community or anything it's about just <laughs> people are people experience yeah. yes people are people we all we all want to connect we all are trying to have a date. We're all trying to get home. Yes. Um, when you, I remember the first time, 
Because one of the first places, and because and, I, I, I knew nothing about this community prior. Mm-hmm. In Los Angeles, um, Las Vegas, Silver Lake area, there's the um, Los Angeles Braille Center or Braille Institute. Mm-hmm. Yes, I used to live right by there. And on Thursdays, they have um, Deaf Blind Day. And I remember going with Doug the first time, and it was the first time that I'd ever been, uh, that I witnessed, you know, tactile sing, like, sign language. For mm. people who don't know what that is, um, it's essentially, it's a form of ASL or how people within the deafblind community speak to each other. You know, they they do ASL, the other person will put their hands, you know, around the other person who's signing his hands and then just basically read their hands. Wow. The other things that happens if you have like enough interpreters and they're going and, you know, the exchange is happening back and forth is that the person who is signing to somebody will have an interpreter next to them who's tapping on their leg different things. And what they're doing is, um, you know, like a, a way that they're tapping, let's say, on their knee is giving the, the person who's signing an idea of what the other person is feeling, like what they're emoting. So it's oh my. into a void. There's an actual conversation between two people happening. Wow. Wow. To see that and to and again, you know, going to, to like the SOS moment where I'm literally here having this like existential crisis of like what my purpose is and what am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. and how do I undo this version of myself that I had become that I didn't want to be, I start to really see the resilience of of the human spirit, mm-hmm. of what it is that humans do in order to survive. Because anybody, you know, in particular with somebody in this community that's different, abled, is very, could have very easily been overlooked. And had mm-hmm. it not been for the people that are like, how do we get these people to survive? How do we get these people to have um, a, a fulfilling life and, and be able to thrive in the way, mm-hmm. you know, even just as someone as, as, as Robert has been able to thrive in this moment, mm-hmm. you know, we're capable of so much more than what we are told that we can achieve. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing that the, the communication level with trans translators, yeah. t- translators, right? That's interpreters. Yeah. Interpreters. Interpreters, I was like, this feels wrong. <laughs> the interpreter, like, but um, talking about what the other person is emoting back, because, I mean, they even say with with those of us who are, like, with our hearing and our sight, when, we're, when we are communicating, um, I've read that, like, 80 to 90% of what we pick up on is body language from the mm. other person. It's not even about the words that they're saying. And that's how we are reading communications with people when we're looking at them. So... Think of how we've like overcomplicated our lives with texting. Yes. Where we, I literally like somebody will send me a text message like, where are you? And I like, I have like 9 million like stories that go through my head and all of a sudden I hate the person. (laughs) It's like you literally, how many times that's happened to so many people, all of us. Like, oh, I thought you meant, oh, I thought it's like, what? I I was just saying, where are you? I wasn't like, where are you? (laughs) Or is it, where are you? Or is it, (laughs) it's like, what are we? I what are that, doing? That actually, I have a question about a particular part of the movie and spoiler, put your, you know, earmuffs if you haven't seen it quite yet. Um, but what do you think? Cause me and Ryan were kind of like debating on like, ha, huh, this is interesting. Like at the end when already tells Tariq, everything's going to be okay. Did he, do you, do you think it was intentional in the way of like, he knows that he's homeless I think so. Um, I remember Doug talking about this because um, it, it was, I can't remember if it was something, if it was a conversation that we had or if it was something that was done in the, in the audition rooms. Mm. The whole, um, 
in an earlier scene, you know, when he asked him, like, why, were, why are you out? And he's like, oh, I was on a date. He it's puts his finger same. on. And he asked him, um, what about you? Tariq has a hesitation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in that, that breath, there's so much, so much subtext that's told. Yeah, which is like, which is you know, when they're talking about feelings and, and emoting and body language, that was that was his, you know, body language. I guess was was the hesitation and the silence. I exactly. Thought, especially, I assumed. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Like I would think that, um, especially, and I'm, and I actually like should have this. Like I know that for a fact. Um, I'm curious if if part of the 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 way in which people who are deafblind like how they communicate, there really isn't. I remember very vividly watching this and being like. Oh, they don't. There's no beat that's missed. It's like mm-hmm. the conversation goes as easily and fluidly as you know what we're having right now. Yeah. That in that moment where somebody does like hesitates to like you know immediately like answer back, there's there's so many things that can be told in that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know I thought or I noticed in the the reason I assumed that he did that Artie did know that mm-hmm. Tariq was homeless. Not only was it that that hesitation, but when he's hesitating, he has his fingertip on Artie's hand. So Artie can feel that his finger is already there. He's just not writing something yet. Right. And so it wasn't even like he just waited and then grabbed his hand and wrote, I'm on a date. Also, I was on a date, too. He he just like had his finger sitting on Artie's palm for like a good couple seconds. And the fact that he was touching him when he when he was hesitating made me think that already figured it out or, or knew. It's also that whole thing that it's, you know, he can tell that he's a, a young man. Yeah, yeah. With somebody, you know, and, and you know, Tariq is technically like a teenager that it's like, why is a teenager out this late at night? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? What's going on? Um, mm-hmm. We went back and forth talking about, you know, we didn't want, uh, you know, Tariq, Tariq to be homeless. You know, it was like, mm many different variables and and so many different things that he could be you know like especially like you know Alyssa I know you lived in New York and you know New York well there's so many and you know you see people of all ages at all different hours of the day yeah and yeah. and the evening that so sometimes you don't know you know there's so much that could additional things that you can add to that it's like was he like trying not to go home because there's a bad you know a bad place at mm-hmm. home or he just didn't want to go home because he wanted to like stay out or really his intention may have been that he just wanted to go see Rhonda, his, this girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, I think it was a little bit of, you know, Tariq's choice as an actor, um, Steven's choice as an actor. And then also us as an audience to interpret it the way that we want to interpret it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a short, we have 18 minutes to, to really tell the story. And so many of the, the things that it's almost as an audience, not our job, but when it comes to short film, but it's almost a, a freedom to be able to add fiction on top of fiction so that we can right. take out of the story what we want to. Oh, and I love the moment when when Tariq closed his eyes and closed his ears just for that moment, just to see what it yes. was like. I remember Crying. gasping when I read that. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. so moving. And like, what do you think? And like, you know, you did some work at, at um, the Deaf Blind Night, you know, at the at the Braille Institute and and like all, you know, in your work with the Helen Keller uh, National Center. I like, why do you think it took so long to feature a deaf blind actor? I think and this is coming from me. I remember having the you know, I've been on set. I know how hard being on set is. And, you know, in, in this particular project, when I was like, okay, I'm just going to produce, I'm going to have my producer have, let me figure out, like, 
the logistical, you know, the logistics of it all. And I kept being like, it's hard enough to be on a set for somebody who's used to being on a set, let alone somebody who hasn't been on a set. And on top of that, add that they are deafblind. And on top of that, add whatever number of interpreters are going to need to be on set. Um, I think a lot of the times when it comes to projects, you know, we, if something becomes a little bit too difficult, we're like, well, let's just find something, an easier way to do it. Like yeah. last night with the, with the Oscars, it was the first time that, you know, they were, uh, they were accessible to, to people who are hard of hearing or people mm-hmm. who they were closed caption or to, you know, with image descriptions and all sorts of things. And it's like the fact that it took 93 years for something like this to happen. You know, it, right. all it has to do is like one person has to do it and then everybody is able yeah. to do it. Yeah. And it's, I, I don't, I, did you follow the, the, um, drama with that Sia movie? No. Okay. Well, I won't go into it too much, but basically, um, Sia had written in this movie. I can't remember what it's called, but it came out this year or like late last year. Um, and it was supposed to be about, uh, a, a character with intellectual disabilities, like severe intellectual disabilities. And they had ca- they had aimed to cast an actor with the same um, in- intellectual disabilities, but it became too much. And they immediately just like, I don't know if they quit or they just fired that actor and they got uh, the chick from Dance Moms that she always has in her <sighs> music videos to play her, to play a character who's completely, she's, she's neurotypical. So it's like, she she's portraying a person with uh severe intellectual disabilities and it's just like there's a lot of controversy obviously because it's like you know were you just not doing enough were you just give up at the first sign of an inconvenience you know like the fact that like what you were doing with the interpreters um and the light that was like shining i saw that in the documentary that the light they had like specific light to show so um so robert can see at, in the night shoots, like them interpret uh, doing ASL. Oh. Wait, so, you know, so Robert thinks Robert um, is so he, he's not a hundred percent blind. Um, the way that it's been described is like you know if you were to put a piece of paper and like poke holes through it like with a needle, yeah. that's like hum, that's what he can see. Mm. Yeah. Legally. So if he has like the that you know like Alyssa explained in the documentary, you see like the way that they're able to shine the light on the interpreter so that he can at least like see you know what it is that she's interpreting and oh. able to. To you know, receive direction or be able to communicate uh-huh. with Doug. I think this is no different than you know creating that kind of environment for somebody who is deafblind on a set is no different than you know create you know let's say you know working on a film in Brazil and then you have some sort of you know interpreters with you that are you know what's his name from um, the director from Parasite last night when they even did, you know did oh, the whole Jim introduction. Hall. He said yeah. that it's like. There's no reason for these stories not to be told. People will learn how to exactly. to adapt. And mm-hmm. you know, one of the things as a as a producer, and I know that you know all of the, I think anybody that has ever produced, and you're working with with an artist, a, a director, and and writers and actors, you you try to find the yes. You know, they say like, well, this is what I need, and it's like, well, let me figure it out. And, mm-hmm. and what I always tell myself is if Beyonce can find 78 black trombone players to play Coachella, <laughs> I think I can, you know, I can figure some anything out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's, there's always a way to tell your story, honestly. Well, and so as this has, you know, I know the Oscars were last night for this will come out later. But um, so the press and the media have obviously been raving about your film. And what has the feedback taught you? Um, as a producer and 
just an artist moving forward, whether it's about being a producer or just being in the industry? Um, I think to, to take, I, I, I truly, I've always like believed this, that it's like, if you believe the good, you always have to believe the bad. Mm-hmm. So it's always good to just listen to, to your core and at least like also like listen to, to your circle, to your mm-hmm. inner circle, because they're you know, always, are going to be your biggest supporters and stuff. I think, um, you know, I learned very early on, you know, like when I was 19 when I made my Broadway debut and in my mind, I was like, this is the greatest moment of my life and nothing's ever going to top this. And then when that moment ended, I'm sitting there like, well, what's next? And then Uh, this Oscars experience was a five month experience, you know, like from the moment, you know, we, we, you know, I remember Doug being like, you know, we became eligible. Like I'm still debating back and forth if we're going to go in um, we were approached by Andrew Carlberg, who became an executive producer, and he was like, I think this film has a shot. Um, we entered the race, I, I can't remember if it was late November, early December, and then it was five months of like campaigning and putting the pieces together. And in that, you know, a lot of that went back to, to for me, it was a lot of the feelings that came back to the crowdfunding, that it's like, okay, well, who am I going to reach out to? You know, whose hands do I need to get it to? Understanding you know, what the academy is, or, you know, if, if you're in, into Meghan Markle, like what the institution is and how to communicate with the institution and the whole thing. Yeah. And, into and, Meghan and, Markle. <laughs> and just like Meghan, all of a sudden, these like voices start going in your head and you're just like spinning. And <laughs> I think one of the, the things that I learned the most from this, it's sometimes the best thing to do is to just stand still, to, to, in a way to kind of like just let every all the all the noise calm down all the water if like you're standing in like a, in like a shallow pool of water mm-hmm. to let that calm down so then you know what the next step should be mm-hmm. um the oscar race as it was explained to me you know i remember one of the first people that I reached out my friend jeremy um you know i was trying to go to him to have him connect me to somebody who could connect me to who i was trying to get to and he said to me he's like this is a very tricky and nuanced race mm. Looking at it now, you know, now I understand, you know, when people would say about Anne Hathaway and they'd be like, oh, you know, she campaigned so hard for that Oscar that she won. It was kind of gross, blah, 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 blah. Now I'm realizing like, yeah, everybody's in it. Everybody's campaigning. Everybody that gets to that level is doing everything they can to to bring as much awareness to what it is that they're doing. And the thing is, it's like, you know, it's it's a race. It's a competition, but it's. I, I can't think of it as a competition because every film, like in, in particular, like our categories, the first time that I really paid attention to the short live action film, mm. and I watched all the films, and all of the films were, I thought, were absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and I did. see why all of those films, you know, were able to to get through all of the noise that happened, you know, because it was 179 films that qualified, and then wow. the shortlist was 10. And from that shortlist, I I, could, I was able to see and identify like why those films were able to like get through all of the noise to get to that. Mm. And then from those ten, I was able to identify why they also made it to to the nomination. What would you say the common thread was that you identified? I think the common thread one was the the understanding of what the game is, the understanding <laughs> of what is expected when you you even get to that point. Um, cause I can imagine, I remember there was a, a film from Ghana, there was a film from India and there was a film from, um, I think it was Norway or Finland, um, that I, I watched the trailer. I was able to watch the one from India and 
the PR behind, like, there was no, n there was no awareness there. Like, you know, there wasn't, like, a lot of noise behind the film. And, you know, when you're asking people, the people who are at the Academy, and this is something that I didn't know. So for our category, there's two, two categories that vote for it. It's anybody who's made, who's been um, invited to join the Academy that were part of the short live action film mm -hmm. and anybody that's part of full feature animation. So those people, and it's usually like every year, like the inductees, it's, it's hundreds of people get inducted into the Academy and then, you know, they get divided into the different categories. And then it's about bringing that film to those people. It's about bringing your, you know, especially in the short categories, like how can we target those people so that they know about our film, they hear about the film, mm -hmm. they understand what it is that the filmmaker was trying to do. They understand what the importance of what the film is, is trying to do. And it literally, you know, I'm from Panama, so it's like, I'm, I'm gonna be as loud as I possibly can. Um, and that's, I think, when, when you don't know that you have to do that, it's very easy to then just kind of like get lost in in the yeah. mm -hmm. circumstance of it all. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. You were robbed. Just gonna say that. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, what was that like when you found out you were nominated? Though, like, did you did, were you screaming? Like, did you no. prepare a speech? Wait, did you did you prepare a speech? No, I did not prepare a speech. I like to I like to go you know where the wind takes me and we'll just and hopefully so you can give us the. Lie so you can give us the speech live on our podcast. I mean, but if you'd like to hear my speech, I have it prepared in my notes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the whole thing was fascinating. I remember. Okay, so we knew we knew the day and the time because I think it was February twelfth. The day it was the day that I got my first vaccine. We knew <laughs> that we this is the day that the shortlist was going to come out, and. It was supposed to be at three o'clock LA time. So it's like 6.15 and I'm not hearing anything from anybody. I'm trying not to like refresh Twitter or anything. And then um, Phil, one of the producers texts me, he's like, we haven't heard anything. I don't think it's looking good. And I'm like, oh. it's out of our control. Five minutes yeah. later, you know, everyone's said the phone's blowing up. We made the short list and it's like, holy shit. Wow. Um, and then, you know, the campaigning started, the the nomination, when was it? March 15th. So the last day of voting for that was like March 10th. And, you know, my mom, I think my mom and my sister were more nervous than like, than I was, you know, at this point, you know, no different than like going to an audition or anything. It's like, I've done all the work. I've done everything it's that I can. Nice. Everyone has done out of what they can. And I honestly was just more enthralled with like Priyanka Chopra and Nick Jonas that I was... <laughs> What what's their day to day like? Like what do they do, <laughs> and what are they doing in London? Right. right. Still thinking about her wedding. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, how, how? Which one? <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh my god. god. They had like three hundred. Um, and then they announced it, and it was just. It's funny because like I, you know, I think many of us, you know, I, I'm sure Elizabeth with the Oscars, Molly, you with the Grammys, like we always like think of like what that moment is going to be like and what that moment is going to feel like. And then when the moment comes, it's just like, oh, this is crazy. And I remember just like, it felt like I was in, it felt like I was on Adderall. Um, everything <laughs> yes. was just very clear. Everything was like, okay, I understand mm -hmm. like how this happened. All of these pieces are coming together. 
-hmm. It was like a sense of excitement, but there was also a sense of like that morning coffee buzz that I was like, well, this is, this is nice. That's nice. This is nice. This is nice. I could get used to this. I will say that yesterday was the first time I've had like little moments. I think yesterday when, when the awards happen, it was actually through all, all of this, I've always been like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling. I don't know. Like, like, do I need to, should I be excited? Do I need to be jumping up around? There's so many other things, you know, I had, you also have so many people that are saying like, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. And like, why aren't you doing this? Right. Um, that, you know, once I like, you shut everything down, it was like, let me just focus on what it is that I need to be doing. Um, when the show started yesterday, I remember feeling like I texted my boyfriend and I was like, I have this, like, I just felt like I had this emotional release. And I was like, mm. oh my gosh, this is happening. And as, and then, you know, that passed because I was like, what's this like camera lens that they have for the Oscars today? And <laughs> also like looking at like Union Station and looking at the whole thing. And I was like, oh, this is a country club. Like now, like, you know, when you take away like all the, yep. you know, the mass of people that are there, all of a sudden it's like, oh, here we are at Mar-a-Lago. Um, <laughs> and, you know, when the, when the category came up, it was, it was, and I will never forget this feeling. All of a sudden, it, it was the first time that I felt like that, that bubbling, like, oh my gosh, I was like, oh, this is nerves. And yeah. I was able to identify it. And I was like, so excited that I was like, oh good, I'm feeling something. And <laughs> feeling through. Yeah. Huh? Oh, yeah, I was, I'm feeling through my emotions. And, you know, when they called to Distant Strangers, it was like a sense, there was also like a sense of relief mm-hmm. because it was also like, we made it this far. Yeah. And we made it here and look and, and not only that, like, I, I'm fascinated because of, like, like all of the, the press between, like, what Marley was doing and, and what mm-hmm. Doug was doing in terms of the film and bringing, like, all of that awareness. Short films don't ever really get that much attention. I right. cannot remember the last time that a short film was, like, on NBC Nightly News. I can't remember the right. last time that, you know, something like this made it into the New York Times the way that it did. Like, Goldberg was talking about it. It was it was phenomenal, the response. Mm-hmm. Cher spoke about it. like. <laughs> I think the share impression, but I can't. <laughs> Didn't Chrissy Teigen too, or is that just a fever dream? I that one I haven't heard. <laughs> I just made it, it up. It was a fever, fever dream. dream. <laughs> a fever dream. Well, this is so. But it is. Yeah. It's like the the level of maybe fulfillment that I would imagine feeling aside from finishing a project and having it get to that level in the industry obviously but the fact that you guys with what you created really made an impact on society and took a took a massive stride forward for um human rights honestly like mm-hmm. what this is expanding our awareness of the human experience it's opening people's eyes to other realities it's like you know shattering people's bubbles that we live in and that achievement it is to me because that's why all of us as artists make art is to have that impact on society. And it's kind of a, the awards shows are their own thing. And I know a lot of it is political and, but at the same time, it's like what we all want is to make that impact. And then we take the award as proof that you made that impact. However, like what you guys did, like you're just talking about the press and the coverage that you guys received leading up to it with the film is just that is the goal like that is the impact that I would imagine you guys were trying to make but that artists always try to make like you want to make huge waves in the world with what you create and that you did that you know 
Yeah. One of the things yeah. that, you know, it's, it, it feels like it is the, uh, like this new chapter for, for the film and for mm -hmm. the community. Um, before, I think in 2019, you know, at that point, what Doug has been through is essentially this marathon. And, you know, all of us, everybody else that was involved with the project, it was almost like it was a relay race. Like I was there in the very beginning to like, yeah. let's get this started. Let's get this off the ground. Let's get you set up for success. Um, once the film was done, once the editing was done, you know, this is when Doug really, the vision started to come together for him. And that's when he started really working hands even more so with the Helen Keller National Center and Helen Keller Services to create what he has done, which is called the, the Feeling Through Experience, mm -hmm. which is a, a three-part event. And, you know, they show the film, they show the documentary, and then they do screenings with people of the community. Um, mm -hmm. The uh, a Q and A, excuse me, with people of the community, the the screenings or the events are fully accessible to anybody who's deafblind. You know, with scripts, with um, interpreters, with uh, image descriptions of everything that they're seeing on film, in a way that you know, this film is going to be made. You know, and I talked about this in in a lot of the fundraising videos. It's like we're making this film with this community so that this community can, you know, for the first time actually have access to this kind of art, to have an outlet, to be able to be like. Mm -hmm. You know, there there is no reason why why any film shouldn't be accessible to everybody, any breathing homo sapien, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, you know, now with the attention that it's, uh, unfortunately, you know, all of this, like, once COVID hit, it, like, everything kind of, like, went to a stop. And then, you know, it yeah. started going, you know, Doug started doing the Feeling Through Lives every Friday. And mm -hmm. this community that has really built behind it it's like what you want exactly like you said it's like as an artist you always want something that's like bigger than yourself you always want yeah. people to see the what it is that your that your voice is and to see the community that has galvanized behind the project is remarkable and i think that's one of those things that in the in the process of this you know when i, I you know i've been going back and forth like do i want to make like a thank you post like what do i want that to look like and i went back to the very first post that i had about feeling through and it was like, well, it's interesting. That had 22 likes. And now more than 3.5 million people have seen this film. Wow. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Wow, that gives me chills, too. 3.5 million people. When it's something real, nothing can, nothing can compete with that. Like, nothing can really... And like you said, when you're talking about making the short list and then you're like, it's a competition, but it's not because it is for the award. But at the end of the day, it's like... You can't compete. Art cannot compete with another piece of art. As much as we, as humans, make it do yeah. so, it's just like that's not what it is. It yeah. is its own standalone thing. Yeah. Ready for this, like I was, I, I, I was thinking of you know, I was in D, I went to DC to to celebrate with like my family, like my mom and my sister. Um, it felt full circle, you know. Mm -hmm. And to then. On the drive back today, I was like th thinking about the film and I was like, well, good for them. And I was trying to think like what what's going to open up and like what kind of doors will open up. Yeah. The, the thing that gave me like peace of mind was that this year in that particular category, there's going to be a slew of people that will be admitted into the academy that are of color. Mm -hmm. And throughout this whole process is when I realized, you know, when they, I, when Jada Pinkett Smith, like in the whole Oscar so white thing really like became something. You know, like, you know, part of this, like, grand awakening that everybody had in 2020, part of it that I also had in 2020, and it started in 2018 in terms of, like, what my place in the world was, the fact that there are going to be people, more people of color 
in all of the categories just because of how many BIPOC, you know, BIPOC um, people were winners and, and um, nominated this year, those people are going to have their hand in influencing and choosing the films that are going to be yes. nominated. Yep. So yep. the people that now have an understanding of a culture that's something other than what this organization, institution, yes. we go back to Megan, um, <laughs> had established in the very beginning. And this is when you start to see diversity and this is when you start to see projects at the bigger, at a bigger level, at a higher level, start to get greenlit that, you know, our stories of BIPOC people, our story, uh, stories of people that are different abled because now those communities are choosing them. Those communities are, right. you know, are voting on the films to get on the shortlist, are voting for the films to get nominated, right. voting for the films to win. That's like the whole power dynamic shift of, you know, it's like having all these companies that now want more diversity in their campaigns, but all the all the CEOs are still white. So it's like <laughs> it's it's getting at the root of it all where Correct. the real people making not, yeah. like I also you know I, I used to get so upset with it. it's like well why you know they're the ones that are choosing this and it's like why like mm. blah 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 but it's like it's also not their fault because all that they've been exposed in terms of like these other diverse communities is what they've seen so far so in, in terms of you know Alyssa I know like being you know Puerto Rican part Puerto Rican right mm -hmm. um is you know how women, Latinx women have been portrayed in film and, and television, it's always like the hoochie-coochie factor or mm -hmm. you're a maid. That <laughs> yeah. is it. Either or you, you are there exist. to like clean the house or you're there to like break up the marriage. <laughs> if that's all you've ever seen, that's or all both. you're ever going yeah. to, or both, you never know. <laughs> um, if that's all you've ever seen, that's all you've ever been exposed to, that's all you think that exists of, the, of, a, of a community. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, you can even take art and, and look at it. You know, to the election last year, where everyone's like, "Oh, well, the Latin vote, what happened?" Mm -hmm. As a community, we're multifaceted. Yeah, you know, and as a, as a community, as a, as a, the United States of America, um, you know, it's it's like looking at a landscape through a kaleidoscope, and there's so many different things. And if you've only seen one side of one color, you're only gonna accentuate and 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 lift up that one color yeah and this is why i think this year and you know when the conversation started with oscar so white has been so important because now you're starting to see the effects of that mm -hmm. starting to see people that understand different communities right yeah i mean that's something that like i always think about as an actor in this industry going into this and knowing what auditions i'm always getting and it doesn't make sense because of all the because I have such white assuming privilege, but it doesn't matter. Like as soon as my agent finds out, found out that I was Puerto Rican, they're like, oh, no, 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 you're going to be the hooker for every single role I put you out for. And it's just so disheartening. But it's I, and then that just is kudos to you, Luis, for being mm. a part of such a beautiful and revolutionary type of work yeah um where people can see themselves in you know people can see themselves in Tariq people can see themselves in Artie uh mm -hmm. <laughs> the bodega guy <laughs> like fuck you know it. what you can see themselves as a man sleeping on the bus <laughs> yes yeah and also this is real quick before we wrap it up yeah. um I was really moved by when he when he puts Artie on the bus and then you know he like kind of gets aggressive with the bus driver mm -hmm. like promise me like don't just say sure like promise me you'll tap him at his spot because like he's just really and the bus driver was like okay fine and there's this whole exchange and then they hug each other and it's pretty emotional and just he makes that that uh woman the in the contact? back of the bus makes yes. eye contact with Tariq and smiles at him like sees that he's taking care of this man and it was like kind of an extended moment but it was 
really moving because I'm wondering what she sees. Like, she sees that this guy is blind. She sees that this kid is helping him. She probably doesn't know he's deaf. Um, She sees him, like, have a little conversation with the bus driver. It's like a whole... There's so much in an 18-minute film. There's, like, so many moments that are just, like, the human experience just exploded all over the screen, and you just see yourself in everyone. And I'm just... I'm so proud of you and I'm really excited for you and I have so much admiration for you just like shaking up your own life and doing what you needed to do because it was there was a blockage in your life and you knew you were unhappy and you removed that and all of these things are flowing to you and I'm so happy for you yeah thank you guys thank you so much for being here I love you both love you oh god I love him so much I love him I am it's very... I got verklempt. <laughs> it's so beautiful to see somebody that, you know, we had all worked together and we all have these goals and dreams. We're all working on these things. And then, you know, to watch somebody from that to fulfilling a huge piece of their purpose and their dream and he, what he is doing in... The creative world is just beautiful. He's enormously talented, and I'm so happy that this, this. I mean, like, even if he did any uh, any other film that was maybe, I guess, uh, featured, not I want to say normal actors, actors, Mm -hmm. uh, able bodied actors. I'd be proud of him, but like, it's this film that's like, I'm so glad that he was a part of something so important that hit close to home for me. And I'm sure so many Mm -hmm. people. So, so dope. He was robbed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes, please, everyone, check it out. Uh, they worked with the Helen Keller National Center for the Deafblind Youths and Adults, HKNC. So that's what we're shouting out today for our nonprofit. Um, authorized by an act of Congress in 67, HKNC is the only organization of its kind providing training and resources exclusively to people age 16 and over who have combined vision and hearing loss. Students travel from across the country to their headquarters in Sands Point, New York, for on-campus training in assistive technology, vocational services, orientation, mobility, communication, and independent living. Their instructors are sensitive to the cultural differences between students with different levels of hearing and vision loss and varying educational backgrounds, providing individualized training and guidance to each student. HKNC also is a leader in professional learning, training the trainers to work with the deafblind community. So to learn more and donate, please visit helenkeller.org HKNC. And uh, shout out to Black Lives Matter. Yes. You know, always blacklivesmatter.com. Yeah. Give them all your money as well. Yup. Follow us on IG at the SOS pod. Follow us, subscribe to us on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, Google, everywhere. Leave us reviews. It helps us. And what are we on, Molly? What are we on? Oh, we are on Patreon. <gasps> We're on Patreon, y'all. Which is a way for you to help financially support us as we try to get this little baby off the ground. $3 hey, a month, $7 a month, or $11 a month. All very low. Just, you know, don't have coffee one day and, and then donate it to us. Yeah, especially month, if you, you live know? in New York or L.A. $11 yeah. is like a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, do we... Uh, it definitely helps us. We offer for the different tiers, whatever tier you sign up for, there are different things that are included, um, extended interviews, some behind the scenes footage, some or bonus content, 
Um, we have, we'll have merch exclusives once our merch drops. Mm-hmm. A lot of things. We have some like, you know, kind of limited edition stuff now, but you have to go check we it do. out to see what it is, but it's delicious. So shout out to some of our patrons, Steve Ginn and Nyjah Brooks. You guys mm-hmm. are the goat. The goat. For real. Um, I'm Molly Cottrell. I'm Melissa Rosano. And here's to turning meltdowns into magic. Magic.